Open up to Luke 17. Luke 17. I'm really excited about this morning because uh, I love the Gospels. We have been in Romans for a long time, and before that we were in Psalms, and before that we were in Nehemiah, and then before that Ecclesiastes. And so it's been a while since we've been in a Gospel, and so I'm really excited to to open up and read the Gospels with you, especially this morning. Uh, Luke 17, we're going to look at an interesting story because... I think everyone in here is probably familiar with the story of the good Samaritan. We're probably less familiar with the story of the grateful Samaritan. And uh, it's a really good time to look at this story and study it together because this past week was Thanksgiving. And this story addresses the topics of thankfulness and gratitude, which, if we're honest, and I hope we can be, we struggle with that today, don't we? (laughs) And it's not just a current struggle. I mean, this has been going on throughout all human history. I mean, when he died, uh, Andrew Carnegie, who was a, a leader in the 19th century steel industry and one of the richest men who has ever lived, he left one of his relatives $1 million as an inheritance. Now, that's amazing, is it not? Can we just pause and say, well, I think if any of us had received that, we'd be jumping for joy and celebrating and doing all sorts of stuff. Not this guy, though. Uh, this particular relative was angry and bitter and cursed Andrew Carnegie for what he received because he only received $1 million. While Andrew Carnegie left $365 million to things like charities and libraries and other important institutions. How dare he? And only leave this guy $1 million. Now, let's be honest with each other. When you hear a story like that, what are you thinking? You're thinking, what an ungrateful, entitled brat, right? He should be thankful he got anything at all, let alone such a large sum, $1 million. But that's just the problem, isn't it? We always want more. We're never really satisfied. You know, we're kind of like kids in this way, because if you've, ever, if you've ever been around a kid on Christmas or a birthday, and you've seen kids open presents, it's really fun for a while, because kids are super excited. They want to open all their presents, and if they're like Judah, they want to open them as fast as they can, because they want to see everything they got, right? But then there comes a moment, and parents, you've witnessed this moment, maybe others have as well, There's a moment where the kid looks around because he doesn't find another present to open and he goes, where are the rest of my presents? (laughs) Is that all? You're like, is that all? You just opened 83 presents. What do you mean? Of course it's all. (laughs) Yes, but that's the problem, isn't it? They always want more. And for most of us, that never goes away, even into adulthood. We think, if I could only make that salary, If I could only have this much money in the bank, if I could only live in that neighborhood or drive that kind of car or work in that career field, well then, oh then, I would be truly happy and content and satisfied and thankful. Yet that's not really the case, is it? (laughs) You could have all that stuff come true and we would still be discontented. In fact, I don't think most of us realize it, but we're living someone else's dream. It doesn't always feel that way, but I don't know if you've ever thought about this. There is someone out there right now less fortunate than you who is wishing that they could be living your life. They wish that they could have the type of family that you have, the type of marriage you have, 
They, they wish they could be working in your career field. They wish that they could know all that you know and have all that you have. It might not feel like it to you, but you are living someone else's dream. So why doesn't it feel that way? And why do we struggle so much to appreciate what we have? Why do we actually not appreciate all the things that we've received? The question we want to consider this morning is why do we fail to give thanks and appreciate all we've received? What's the ultimate reason for that? We're in a season of gratitude and thanks, so, so why is it that we fail as people to give thanks and appreciate all that we've received? Well, that's actually the question that our passage is going to answer for us this morning, and, and here's what I love about the Gospels, is we're going to get to learn a lot about what it was like in the time of Jesus, because when we enter into this story, we're entering into a very tense spot in the story. So if you have your Bibles, Luke 17, I want you to look with me at verse 11. This is what the Bible says. On the way to Jerusalem, he, being Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. So we're pausing there. We're picking up in Luke 17. And here's what's happened. Luke tells us all the way back in chapter 9 that Jesus set his face resolutely towards Jerusalem. And he begins to track Jesus' journey to Jerusalem where he'll ultimately be betrayed, where he will die on a cross, and where he will ultimately rise again from the grave. And Luke is tracking that journey for us. And, and as we come to Luke 17, Jesus is nearing the end of that journey. He's getting closer and closer to Jerusalem. And as we pick up, he has come to a border, a really important border, the border between the regions of Samaria and Galilee. Now, here's the thing. When we read the Gospels, right, it doesn't have the same effect on us that it would have had to the original readers. And that's a shame because I, I want you to understand, I'm going to try to do this this morning, this would bring about a lot of tension. All right, So, so just picture it. Imagine you're a first century Jew. If you were a first century Jew and you started reading this account and you just read that Jesus was passing along, going between the areas of Samaria and Galilee, you would have been tempted to just skip right over this story. Why is that? Because they did not like those two places. They did not like them at all. They would have said, why on earth would I want to read anything about Samaria and Galilee? If you want to try to think about it in modern terms, think about it like this. Imagine I were to go to someone who, much like myself, was born in the Deep South, has lived in the Deep South his entire life. I mean, just full-blooded Deep South, right? And I go to this person and I say, hey... I've got an article I want you to read about why you should consider moving to San Francisco or New York City. What are they going to say? Why on earth would I want to read about those two places? I would never consider moving there. Why on earth would I want to read about San Francisco and New York City? Because the Deep South and those two places, they couldn't be further apart culturally, economically, politically, or morally. And that's exactly how the Jews in Judea felt about Galilee and Samaria. You have to keep in mind, the Jews who lived in the, the region of Judea, they were the, the good Jews, quote unquote. They were the conservative ones. They were the, the legalistic ones. 
But when they looked at Galilee, they said, those are the liberal Jews. They're, they're not very strict in their practices. They've kind of twisted some stuff. They're a mixed people. Those are the liberals. And then if you were to think about Samaria, oh, well, they hated Samaria. If you were to ask a Jew living in Judea what they thought of Samaria, they thought they were a bunch of half-breed backstabbers who betrayed their people, slept with the enemy, and defiled true religion with paganism. That's what they thought of Samaria. And so the tensions between these three places and the hostility between these three places, it was really high. So, so understand this, even though it might not be that striking to us today, it just seems like a simple sentence. Jesus was passing along between the areas of uh, Samaria and Galilee. To a first century Jew, they would have automatically tensed up. There's a lot of tension here. It's very uncomfortable. And that's the point. Luke wants us to feel uncomfortable. It's an uncomfortable situation. In fact, if you were reading this as a first century Jew, you would have been thinking, hold on a second. What on earth was Jesus even doing in places like this? Again, if you want to think about it in modern terms, imagine I started a story like this and said, you know what? Something interesting happened the other day as I was hanging out in the red light district. Let me tell you about it. You'd be thinking, hold on a second, Pauls, before you continue that story, uh, what was the pastor doing in the red light district? What were you doing there, pastor? And that's exactly what they would have thought about Jesus being in these two places. They would have said, what on earth is a good moral teacher of the law doing going back and forth between Samaria and Galilee? And so understand this, we're meant to feel uncomfortable. It's meant to be tense. And here's what I love about Jesus, and he does this all throughout the Gospels, is Jesus ignores all of the cultural uh, perceptions and expectations, and he just presses right into that tension. So I want you to see what happens next. Look at verses 12 through 14. This is what the Bible says. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. And lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And they went and they were cleansed. So the tension gets a little higher because now Jesus encounters a group of people you're not supposed to talk to. You're not supposed to have any interaction with them at all. And they're calling on him. You begin to wonder, what's Jesus going to do? Uh, he's supposed to be a good moral teacher of the law. What's he going to do? Is he going to just pass on by him? That's what you're supposed to do. And you remember, leprosy was a skin disease. It was a very bad skin disease, very painful. And, and it actually was highly contagious. So according to Jewish law, and you can find this in the first uh, five books of our Bible, is uh, if you look at the Jewish law, it said any person who had leprosy had to be put outside the camp or outside the city. They were to be totally isolated from all the community. You weren't supposed to talk to them at all. You weren't supposed to have any interaction. Because if you had any interaction with someone who had leprosy, well, then you too were going to be condemned unclean. If you had leprosy, you were considered both physically and spiritually unclean. And if you talked to someone or interacted with someone who had leprosy, well, then you too were considered to be unclean physically and spiritually. And so that, that feeling gets worse. You're thinking, okay, Jesus, what are you going to do? You need to just keep on walking. You need to just pass them by. That's what anybody else would have done. And the lepers call out to them. And they say, Jesus, Master. Now, interesting note about this. 
That word master, it only occurs seven times in the entire Bible, all in the book of Luke, and every other time except this one, it's said by one of Jesus' disciples. But here, you have a group of unclean, isolated lepers saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. In other words, folks, don't miss this. They must have somehow known who Jesus was. They must have heard some of the stories going around about him. They must have heard about his miracles and his healings and, and what he was capable of doing. And so there they are. Picture this in your mind. Picture ten lepers in a terrible, miserable situation. They're entirely helpless and hopeless. They are doomed to this life of isolation and ostracism for the rest of their lives unless someone can do something for them that they cannot do for themselves. No priest can do it. There is no physician who can heal them. And so as we continue this story, you have to wonder, what's Jesus going to do? That's the whole point. What will Jesus do in this situation? If you're a first century Jew and you read that ten lepers are addressing him, you expect the text to say, and he just kept on walking. But that's not what it says, is it? It says that Jesus did not walk by them. He did not abandon them. Jesus did not forsake them. Instead, the Bible tells us here, Jesus had pity on them. He says to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. Now, keep in mind, according to Jewish law, whenever someone who had leprosy was supposedly healed, they had to go and show themselves to a priest because only a priest could declare someone to be clean. That's important. Keep that in mind, okay? So focus on this. This is what's happening here. They go and do what Jesus tells them to do because they're focused on religious requirements. They cannot get the idea of religion out of their heads. They know that according to their religion, they have to go and show themselves to a priest in order to be declared clean. These lepers knew that that is what they must do. And so they go, except for one. Notice what happens next in verses 15 through 19. It says, Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Oh, you wouldn't have liked reading that. <laughs> that would have made you feel all sorts of uncomfortable. Verse 17, Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. You see, there was a moment of realization for one of them. I, again, try to picture it in your mind. Here are these ten lepers. They're on the outside of the community in the city. Jesus tells them to go. And so they start walking back towards the city and they go. And as they're walking, one of them begins to get feeling back in his hands and his limbs. Leprosy takes that away from him. He, he looks down and he sees he's completely healed. I bet you in that moment, the other nine realize that too. In fact, I, I can't prove this, but I imagine that the other nine realized that in that moment and it actually made them run faster to the temple to go see the priest. They were finally going to get what they wanted. 
They were finally going to be declared clean. They were going to be welcomed back into their homes and their their community. They were going to be able to worship in the temple again. I imagine that when they realized that they were healed, they ran faster to go see the priest, except the Samaritan. Because he had this moment of realization, folks, where he said, hold on a second. A priest can declare someone to be clean. But who can actually make someone to be clean? Oh, it was an important realization. A priest can declare someone to be clean, but who can actually make someone to be clean? You see, in that moment, he realized that there must be something special about Jesus. He had called him master just as the others had. But now he was realizing that Jesus was more than master. Jesus must be God in the flesh. Now someone here this morning might say, well, hold on, pastor, isn't that a bit of a stretch? Not at all. Because notice what the text says. It says that this man went away praising God in a loud voice. So he's praising God, but church, let me ask you, whose feet does he fall down at? Who does he direct his worship to? Jesus. And he sees no problem with that or no contradiction with that at all. He knew that in praising God, he must direct his his worship to Jesus and fall down at his feet and worship him. And so he gives thanks to Jesus. And then the most surprising, uncomfortable, irritating news of all, it was the Samaritan. Oh, Luke's already done this to us with the story of the good Samaritan. The Samaritan ended up being the good guy in that story. And here he's the good guy again. I mean, just imagine someone that you wouldn't ever admit makes you feel uncomfortable, that you don't necessarily like that much. Imagine they are the Samaritan in this story. They're the ones who are thankful in return and give God glory and praise and honor. It would have made everybody feel highly uncomfortable. And it's interesting. Jesus singles him out and he says, was only the foreigner the one to return and give thanks and praise to God? You know what that tells us about the other nine church? They were Jews. Full-blooded, 100% Jews. The ones that you would expect to give glory to God. The ones that you would expect to be thankful and give praise to Jesus. They go on their own way. But the one person that we're absolutely certain will never thank God, will never praise God, will never recognize who Jesus is, well, He's the one who does exactly that. And that's exactly how the kingdom of God and Jesus work, isn't it? Those who are absolutely certain that they're on the inside, that God is pleased with them, that they're doing all the right things and they're just super religious and surely they're part of the kingdom of God, well, they're often shown to be on the outside, aren't they? And those that the world looks their noses down upon and judges, those that we deem could never in a million years be part of the kingdom of God, they are certainly outsiders, Well, they're very often shown to be on the inside, aren't they? You see, ten people were healed that day, but only one of them was saved. In fact, that's why Jesus says, Arise and go, your faith has made you well. Or, I prefer the literal translation from the Greek, rather than your faith has made you well. In the Greek, it literally says, your faith has saved you. Ten people were healed that day. Only one person was saved. So here's my question for you, church. Why didn't the Jews, 
the religious people, the quote-unquote good people, the expected people, why didn't they give thanks? What kept them from giving thanks? Why did they not return to Jesus? Well, the answer actually comes in the passage immediately before the one we're reading. So I want you to look at your Bibles there if you have it. I love teaching people how to read and study the Bible. One of the best ways you can study your Bible is pay attention to the context. They say in school all the time, context is king. And so here's what you do, especially when you're reading the Gospels. You have to read the passages that come before and after the one you're studying because it often helps you understand it better. So just spoiler alert, if you really want to understand the point of the parable of the prodigal son, you have to read the very first verse of Luke chapter 15. You read that and you'll actually understand what that parable is about. Well, in the same way, in this story... If you want to know why the nine did not return to give thanks, you have to read the passage that comes beforehand. Which is actually why I had Michael read it for our our scripture reading time this morning. Because do you remember what that passage was about? Did you notice it too was about thanks? Uh, Notice again what Jesus says in verses 9 and 10. He says, Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. So don't miss this. Jesus is teaching that if a person does what they're expected to do and required to do, then they don't require thanks for the things that they did. Right? So again, if you want to think about it like this, imagine your boss says, hey, you are required to clock in every single day by 9 a.m., no later. If that was a requirement, you wouldn't go to him at the end of the week and go, guess what I did this week? <laughs> You're going to be so proud of me. I, uh, I clocked in every day by 9 o'clock. And you just stand there. What, do you want a cookie? <laughs> you want some thanks? That's what you're supposed to do. It's what you're required to do. You don't get thanks for that. Well, that's exactly what Jesus is teaching. If a person does what's expected and required, then they don't require thanks. Now, here's my question to you. Think about this. What does that tell us about our passage that we're studying this morning? How does that help us to understand why only one out of ten people return to give thanks to Jesus? It means that nine out of ten lepers felt that Jesus was just doing what was expected of him and required of him. They said, this is Jesus, Master. And they asked him for mercy. They asked him for healing. But the reason we learn is because they only asked him for healing because they felt the healing was guaranteed to happen. They said, this is Jesus. This is what he does. He heals people. He does miracles. This is what Jesus has to do. Oh, that's a dangerous thought to have, isn't it, church? When you begin to say what Jesus has to do, what Jesus must do. And nine out of ten of these lepers felt that Jesus was required and expected to do exactly what they asked him to do. It was only the Samaritan who realized that Jesus had done something for them that he was in no way required to do. He was not expected to do. The Samaritan realized Jesus could have just passed them by. 
He could have just kept walking by just as any other priest would have done, any other prophet would have done, any other teacher would have done, any other good Jew would have done. Jesus did not have to heal these people. And yet, He did. And when the Samaritan realized that, folks, he returned and fell down at Jesus' feet and gave him glory and honor and praise for what he had done. You see, there's an underlying heart issue at play here. It's the same heart issue that we struggle with today. It's the same heart issue that actually fuels our ingratitude today. It's the same heart issue that prevents us from giving thanks and appreciating all that we've received. Do you see what it is? Think about it. In thinking that Jesus had to heal them, the ten, or I guess in this situation, the nine lepers felt that they had a right to that healing. What would we call that today? Entitlement. And that's the whole point of this story. We won't be thankful as long as we are entitled. That's the whole point. That is the reason that we fail to give thanks and appreciate all that we've received from God. It's because our hearts are plagued with entitlement. It's why we get so upset and disgruntled when we don't get what we want. It's because we expect to get what we want. We expect things to go a certain way for us. We feel completely entitled to every desire of our heart. We say in our heart of hearts, and we never say it out loud, we're too good for that. We're too churched up for that. But in our heart of hearts, we say, of course, Jesus should save me and bless me. Of course, I should have a nice paying job and never struggle financially. Of course, all the relationships in my life should be good all the time and there never be any drama. Of course, I should be free from sickness and disease. Why? Because I deserve those things. I'm entitled to those things. I have a right to those things. And God better give them to me. And if He does give them to me, then why would I thank Him for just giving me what I'm entitled to? That's exactly what nine out of ten lepers thought. I wonder if you find yourself in that situation this morning. And I know initially you're going to say no, which is exactly why I titled this message, Nine Out of Ten People Won't Appreciate This Message. It's because we're blind to our own ingratitude, aren't we, church? We're blind to it. You know, I've been in ministry for many years now, and I've had a lot of people come and confess a lot of stuff to me, things that just open your eyes. I've had people come to me and say, Pastor, I, I'm struggling. I struggle with lust. Pastor, I, I struggle with, with greed. Pa- Pastor, I, I struggle to read my Bible and get involved at church. I struggle with drugs and alcohol. I struggle to maintain a consistent walk with Christ. But it's interesting. You know, in all my years of ministry, I have never once had anyone come to me and go, Pastor, I struggle with ingratitude. I struggle to give thanks and appreciate all that I've received in my life. Why is that? It's because we are blind to our own ingratitude. Because our hearts are plagued by entitlement. 
Listen to me, church. It's only when we realize that we are entitled to anything from God that we will finally start to give thanks and appreciate all that we have received from God. Once you realize that God owes you nothing, you will begin to give thanks for everything. So here's what I want to do in these last few moments. I want to do a test to see if you're like, Nine out of ten of the lepers who have so much but fail to give thanks and appreciate what you've received. Or if maybe you're like the Samaritan. I want to do a test to see if you have an entitled heart. Because this passage teaches us many things about entitled hearts. Here's the first thing it teaches us. Entitled hearts appreciate the gift more than the giver. Entitled hearts appreciate the gift more than the giver. In other words, if you have an entitled heart, you only care about what you feel entitled to. You don't care about how you get it or who gives it to you. That's exactly what we see out of nine of the ten lepers, isn't it? They got exactly what they wanted. They got exactly what they asked for, and they got what they felt entitled to. And so what did they do? They just went on their way. I don't have to give thanks to this. I'm entitled to it. Again, we're kind of like kids in this way, are we not? We just... uh, We just celebrated Judah's third birthday, which was a lot of fun. And uh, he received a million presents. And he did this thing as he was opening the presents. It's typical for kids. But he was so excited to just open the presents and see what he got. He wasn't thanking anyone. And so I had to keep reminding him the entire time. I'd be like, Judah, someone gave this to you. This is the person who gave it to you. You need to say thank you for what you've received. But he wasn't doing that. I had to keep reminding him. He just wanted to open, 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 open without giving any thanks. Well, we're like that too, aren't we? We like to think we're so different from toddlers, but we're not. That's what being a parent has taught me. We're very close to toddlers in our attitudes. We receive so much, and we have so much to be thankful for, and yet we fail to give thanks. And maybe you're here this morning, and you go, well, that's not me, Pastor. I am thankful for all that I've received. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for friends. I'm thankful for my job, my house. I'm thankful for my financial security. But here's my question to you. Do you appreciate those things and those blessings more than the one who gave them to you? You see, the Samaritan was thankful for his healing. Of course he was. But more than that, he was in absolute awe and amazement at the one who had healed him. He was in awe of the one who made it a reality. The only thing that made sense to him in that moment was to fall down at his feet and worship him. My question is, is that your response? You see, the Bible tells us in James chapter 1 and verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In other words, church, everything that you have is from God. But listen to me, and I want you to hear me on this. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. The giver is to be loved and appreciated more than his gifts. The giver is to be loved and appreciated more than his gifts. And this is especially true when it comes to salvation, isn't it? If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you have received the free gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus. Praise God for that. But here's a hard question for you. Do you love Jesus 
more than the salvation He provides. Do you love Jesus more than the heaven He offers? If you could go to heaven right now and see every loved one you've ever lost, every person you've ever wanted to meet throughout all history, if you could experience everything you've ever wanted to experience on earth, if you could visit every place that you ever wanted to travel, if you could indulge in everything that you've ever wanted, if you could have all your desires met, could you enjoy heaven if Jesus wasn't there? How we answer that question reveals a lot about our hearts. If you could enjoy a heaven without Jesus, then you love the gifts more than the giver. You need to ask yourself this morning, examine your heart, what do I love most? Do I love the giver or the gifts? We would do well to remember the words of the Puritan Thomas Watson who said, many love their deliverance, but not their deliverer. God is to be loved more than His mercies. And I hope we remember that, church. It's only entitled hearts that love the gifts more than the giver. But listen to me, as Christians, when we remind ourselves frequently of the wonders of our Savior, our hearts will begin to fill with thanks and praise. Focus your hearts on Jesus, and you will grow to love Him more. But here's the other thing this test tells us about entitled hearts. I want you to Test yourself this morning. Entitled hearts forget quickly. So not only do entitled hearts love the gifts more than the giver, but entitled hearts forget quickly. You see, few things shine a light on our own ingratitude like sickness and suffering and pain, right? You don't really appreciate being healthy until you're sick. And then you long to be healthy again. You don't really appreciate living pain-free until you live with persistent, non-stop pain. Then you long for those days of your youth again when you were actually pain-free and everything didn't hurt all the time. You don't appreciate life going well until it all falls apart. And then you long for normality again. But here's the problem with us, right? As soon as we're delivered from those times of sickness and suffering and pain and hardships, we're quick to forget just how bad they were, right? And we just continue on our merry way as though nothing has really changed at all. I've seen this in myself because I don't know if y'all know this about me, but I get sick kind of often. And uh, uh, one thing I struggle with is ear infections. I had tubes in my ear as a kid, probably should get them in as an adult as well. But I get ear infections once or twice a month, every month. It's really annoying and they hurt. And every time I get an ear infection, it makes me realize that I was not really appreciating being healthy and not having one. And every time I have one, I vow this time I'm going to do it. As soon as this ear infection is gone, I'm going to give thanks to God and glory to God. And I'm going to appreciate being healthy. But what happens? Well, the ear infection slowly goes away. You kind of forget that you even had it in the first place and you just continue on as normal. We once again fail to appreciate being healthy once again. That's kind of what happened to nine out of the ten lepers, isn't it? They got the healing they wanted, but it's like as soon as Jesus healed them of their leprosy, they forgot just how bad it was. They forgot their misery. 
They forgot that not only were they in pain, but they were completely isolated and ostracized from their families and their community. They weren't even allowed to worship in the temple. They forgot their misery, and so they took for granted the healing that they had received. The point is this, church, if we're quick to forget what Jesus has done for us, we won't appreciate what Jesus has done for us. If you forget what Jesus has done for you, you will not appreciate what Jesus has done for you. I want you to look at your life this morning and realize that everything you have comes from God who is under no obligation to give you anything at all. Do you hear me on that, church? God, the giver of all good gifts, is under no obligation to give you anything. Even the pessimists who were here this morning who would go, well, you know what, pastor? I don't really feel like I have that much to be thankful for. I don't really feel like I have that much to give thanks for and appreciate. Well, you got air in your lungs, don't you? You're still alive, aren't you? You don't know how good and merciful God is? He does something I would never do. He gives breath to people who are going to use that breath to complain about Him. That's how good and merciful our God is. You say you have nothing to be thankful for. If you're alive this morning, you have a lot to be thankful for. God isn't required to wake you up in the morning. God isn't required to give you another day. Tomorrow is not promised, church. Neither is today. And so every morning that you wake up, you need to wake up and give glory and thanks to God that He's given you another day of life. Amen? Amen. But not only that, it's especially true for Christians this morning. Don't ever forget what God has delivered you from. If you forget that, you will fail to appreciate it. Don't forget the condition that we were in, because listen to me, it was much worse than leprosy, was it not? We were completely infected by sin that corrupted us and contaminated us and damned us. We were separated not just from our families and a community, we were separated from God Himself. We needed someone to save us from that miserable condition. We needed someone to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And Jesus did something for us as Christians even greater than what He did for the lepers. He saved us from wrath and death and damnation. And here's the kicker. Hear me on this, church. He was under absolutely no obligation whatsoever to do so. I want you to hear me on this. You are not entitled to deliverance and salvation. No one is. Jesus did not have to come to earth to save us. Jesus could have left us in our sins and watched us burn. Jesus didn't have to do anything for us, and yet He put aside the glories of heaven and left the throne room of heaven to come down and be rejected by a bunch of ungrateful people. He came unto His own, and His own did not even give thanks for Him. They turned Him aside. His own did not receive Him, but to everyone who did receive Him, He gave the right to be called children of God. Jesus didn't have to do anything for us, church, and yet He did. Don't be like the nine who don't appreciate what God has done for them. Be in awe and amazed every day that the Lord loved you and saved you even when He didn't have to. If you forget what Jesus has done for you, you will not appreciate what Jesus has done for you. I want us to see one final thing this morning. One last thing this passage teaches us about entitled hearts. Entitled hearts miss the miracle. And honestly, that might be the saddest part of this whole story. 
Entitled hearts miss the miracle. Because that's exactly what happened with nine out of ten of the lepers, isn't it? They were healed, but because they took that healing for granted, they actually missed the miracle of that healing. Look at this. They were so focused on going to the temple and being declared clean by a priest that they missed the miracle that God in the flesh had actually made them clean. Had done something that no human could possibly do. And here's the thing this morning, Christians. Don't ever miss the miracle of salvation. I mean, remember, nine out of ten lepers were so eager to be declared clean that they overlooked the one who had actually made them clean. I hope the same is not true for you. It's one thing to declare yourself to be a Christian. It's one thing for others to declare you to be a Christian. It's one thing to talk of eternal life and going to heaven. But it's quite another thing, though, to fall down in worship at the feet of the one who made it all a reality. Jesus could have passed us by just as He could have passed the lepers by. No one would have thought twice about it. But He had pity on us. He sought us out when we could do nothing for ourselves. When our sin condition separated us from God, He healed us so that we could be reunited with God. When our sin condition was killing us and would have absolutely condemned us to death, Jesus died so that we might live. He gave us life. Christians, don't ever miss the miracle of salvation. Fall down at the feet of Jesus in worship, giving constant praise and thanks for what He has done. So here's my question to you this morning. Do you have an entitled heart? Do you love the gifts more than the giver? Do you forget quickly what God has done for you in Christ Jesus? Do you miss the miracle of salvation? Are you one of the nine who don't appreciate all that God has given you and done for you? Or by God's grace, are you like the Samaritan who realizes that he was not entitled to anything and yet had received everything from Jesus and so gave thanks and praise and glory to God? Does that describe you this morning? Christians, we have much to be thankful for, don't we? Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings and see what God has done. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, in this moment, we ask that you would just allow...